Welcome, Waypoint. Thank you for joining us today. It is so good to see all of you. My name's Mitchell. I just have a couple quick announcements for you. First, if you've got some kiddos, uh, Melissa and Heather have been working to put together a lesson for them. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, we'd love for you to, to take part in that as well. Um, also, we've got this new resource called Right Now Media. It's got a lot of good content out there. If you're looking to do a Bible study in a group, but you're not sure where to start, this is a great place to do that. If you want to get connected with this, this is a free resource for you. We would love to get you connected there. Just let us know and we can get you plugged in. Um, again, thank you for being here. It's so good to see you. You are loved. And let's turn into a time of worship together. That you shed your blood So I'm gonna live like my shame is gone Won't be shackled to the way I was I'm gonna live like my chains are gone Gone and now my sin is dead and gone And I sing
some fun plan this morning. We've got a second office episode. We've got an experiment on the staff and we're dealing with some great content because we're continuing our series in the pandemic series. 
where we're looking at how to find hope when fear spreads like a contagion. The first week we looked at one of the ways that fear flows into our lives and we found that there was one primary thing that we've got to get right. We've got to get our dependence on Jesus right. Who we go to for wisdom, guidance, truth, our values is really important. And if we don't get that set, fear will toss us around for a lifetime. But here's the thing. Um, We're going to look at a second way that fear enters our lives. It's a pretty common way. And what's going to be interesting about this is the person that this happens with, dependence in the scriptures is assumed. But more is said. There's actually more that we could do. There's a layer that we could add. And so we want to pay really close attention because something specific is said to him that, that deepens this story for us. So that's what we're going to do. The second type of fear that's pretty common, I think maybe people respond to it differently, but I think overall all of us will confront it at some point in our lives. And I think maybe the best way to help you understand what it is is a conversation I was having with my own wife about four months ago. She was contemplating a major change that she would make in her life. Uh, She had gotten to a place um, where she wasn't really happy. She uh, felt like she was on pins and needles And she was considering making a big change. And she was kind of sad over that change because some of the things that would change, she would miss a great deal. But she had got to the place where she was so stressed that she wasn't sleeping at night. And it was very obvious to me what had to happen. Like, make a change and move on. Let's go. But for her, um, it, it was taking longer. And it was her decision, so I allowed her to kind of chew on that. But what happened was something that I was surprised by. It got worse. The the decision-making process had so filled her life with so much fear that she had more worry, more stress, and was was having even more trouble sleeping. And so one day I just said, listen, honey, can you bottom line this for me? What's really going on here? She had a list. And she starts listing these things off. And some of them I had recognized because we had talked about this. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a plan for this. We, we talked about this. This can't be part of the equation that you're thinking about. Let's set that aside. Hey, we ha- we're good here. Let's set that aside. Let's set that aside. And it came down to one thing. She looked at me and said, Blair, I didn't know that it could get so bad where I was at. And I'm wondering, when I go to make this next decision and things change, How can I be sure that it won't be worse when I make that choice? And I realized Tracy was dealing with the fear of the unknown. She was trying to gather as much information as that as she could so that she could clearly make a good decision. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to do that? Your decisions have consequences. But part of the very nature of the unknown is that you can't know it. And so she was trying to get information on something that she couldn't acquire information on, and it was driving her nuts. And so she had gotten to a place where it was causing more turmoil in her life than she was planning. I don't think she's alone. I think the fear of the unknown has the ability to weasel its way into our relationships, can mess with our jobs, can mess with um, the classes that we take in school. Uh, it, It touches everything. Have you ever heard people say, oh, the stock market hates uncertainty? 
and that's why it's going down. Everybody hates uncertainty. Everybody feels that way. And that's just the place where you see fear working and they only bring it up when everything's kind of tanking. Oh, something must be bad. Um, and this kind of uncertainty is what we see in our lives all the time. You have a couple choices. When the fear of the unknown is something that you're facing, you have a couple choices. One, it can paralyze you. It can make you hesitate. You, maybe you can make a decision. Maybe you can't make it. And you want to make a decision, but you, you get stuck. Or you can find a way to face it. Make a decision and move. In some cases, it doesn't mean move forward. It may, maybe means you back away or you move sideways. But you move. You keep moving. Keep the forward progress going. One of the reasons that doesn't happen is that for us, the fear of the unknown is the king of what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I don't? And um, the truth is, you can't know. And so all you're left with is the possibilities. And so the possibilities fill your minds. And then you start coming up with theories. Theories about how this could happen, why this could happen. And those theories can sometimes be just crazy, unbelievable, but they become believable to you. Uh, We found a way uh, to illustrate this in a fun way. I hope you'll check this out. When I came in this morning, I found something on my desk that was unexpected. Sure, it seems harmless, but it's been getting a little weird around here. It could be a prank. Uh, I think I'm going to try to figure out what it is before I open it. You know, Luis, before you got here, I never had a gift on my desk. What's in it? A gift? What are you talking about? Come on, man. The gift you got me. What's in it? Dude, you know I would 100% buy you a gift for no reason. But I didn't get you anything. But what's in there though? <laughs> What'd you get? Mitchell? I want to know what's in that box. He didn't recognize it. He's not messing with me. But maybe. Hey, just want to say thanks for the gift. Where'd you find it? It was on my desk when I came in this morning. So based on your question, you think I know what's in the gift. So you think I went out and I bought you a gift. I wrapped it neatly in some paper, put a nice bow on it, and then placed it on your desk. He had me at wrapped neatly. But that could mean... Hey man, you got a minute? Yeah, what's up? I just want to know what you got me. Uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Talking about this perfectly wrapped gift, Mr. Neat Freak. I want the truth. Uh... Again, not sure what you're talking about, and I don't even think you can handle the truth. I just want to know what you got me. (laughs) Wait a minute, you think I went out and spent money on you? He's too cheap. What was I thinking? So, we heard Mitchell was going a little bit crazy today. We didn't have anything to do with it, but we were thinking... Would it hurt if we leave this tape, scissors, and wrapping paper out on the desk? (laughs) It wouldn't hurt!
daycare ladies give me a gift? They gave you a gift? Yeah, I don't know why. Well, uh, maybe they were just being nice? I just need to know what's in it. Uh, I have a crazy idea for you, buddy. How about you just open it? I can't, I can't just open it. It could be a prank. What if it's like a dirty diaper? Just open it, right? Just open the box, and that's easy to do when it's not your what if. But it's when it's your what if, and you've created this theory about what could be. Come on, just think back. Has there been a time where you faced the unknown, and the what ifs have overwhelmed you, and you stalled? or you settled for something, or you stopped pursuing something that you cared about because it had caused you to either hesitate or be paralyzed. I remember Tracy saying as she was processing this, she said, I never imagined when I made the choice to do what I'm currently doing that it could go this badly. I thought that I'd finally found something that I would be good at, that I would love, and, and that it would go so well. And so I never imagined it could be here. So I'm not sure I can trust myself to make a decision to do the next one. And um, she was doubting her ability to even figure out what she could enjoy or love or pursue. And that I'm telling you, this is what happens. This what-if thing happens in our marriages. And people can what-if themselves into a divorce. It happens in our jobs where people stay in a job not because they love the job, it's just the job they know. And they're not sure if doing something else would be of value or if they could pull it off or be successful and so they stay tight and hidden. It happens with some people when they go to school. They look at a class that they think that would be dynamic to take, but I'm not sure I can be successful. I, the, the fear of getting a bad grade prevents me from stretching out and seeing if I could really love or enjoy that. And so you remain hidden, tight. The, the unknown, the unclarity of all of that prevents us from moving. It's, it causes us to think at times that the best decision that we have is to do nothing to just sit, to stay with what we have, and to settle. And it feels like maybe we've been forced into a corner, and that's really the only choice we have, because we can't see clearly how to move forward, so we might as well just stay in the corner and live with it. Now, if there's anybody um, who could have felt like they were in a corner, it's a guy in the scriptures named Joshua. He's a, uh, he'd been uh, kind of an apprentice, of Moses for a long time. God had been preparing him to lead. And you would think that the stuff that Joshua had seen would be preparing him for action, ready to act with boldness, right? He was there 40 years earlier when God led Israel right up to the land that he had promised to them. And Israel had sent in a whole bunch of spies. And as the 12 came back, 10 of them said, this is too dangerous. This is too risky. And Israel listened to that fear. And they chose to just stay. They didn't go back to Egypt. They didn't go, that we're just going to stay here. We're going to settle. 
And so they wandered around in the desert for 40 years waiting for people to pass away. And we get to a place where finally things are ready to go. There's a new generation queued up. And God moves leadership from Moses to Joshua. And you would think Joshua would be chomping at the bit ready to go. But listen, this is what happens to Joshua. I want you to read this. This is Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Um, Joshua's first task is to do something that Israel hasn't been able to do for 40 years. I, if I were Joshua, I think I would come back to God and say, hey, is there something more achievable that we could probably sink my teeth? Is there something that could give me some credibility as a leader that I could do first? Is there something not so 40 years in the making here that, would, that I could do? And instead, he gets this huge task. And uh, Joshua's a guy. He's just like you and me. And although God has been preparing him for this moment, it becomes clear that this is unsettling to him because God has something to say to Joshua. But I want you to notice before we go look at that, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, their dependence is settled. Who does it say will give them the land? God. They are dependent on him for to deliver on his promise. And if he doesn't make it happen, it's not going to happen. So dependence is off the table. But something else is going on, and God recognizes it in the heart of Joshua, and so he speaks to it. He speaks to it in verse 6, in verse 7, in verse 9. I want to read those to you. Listen to what he says to him. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Verse 7, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not... Um, turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful in whatever you do. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. For whatever reason, by the way, I think this is kind of funny. From Joshua 1 to verse 9, God has spoke the whole time. Joshua has not interrupted. He's not said, what if, what if, what if, what if. He's, none of that has happened. And yet you have God in verse 9 saying, have I not commanded you? I think when the end of this happened, Joshua had to say, yeah, you commanded. You didn't even let me respond though. And why? What is happening? There's some emphasis there because God knows what's going on with Joshua. He's a guy. He's about to face this fear of the unknown. I mean, 40 years earlier, he had crossed over. He had seen that land. He knew what was there. But 40 years, a lot can change. And now he's the leader. Will these people follow me? Will they do what I say when I tell them to do it? Can I be successful at that? He has all of these concerns. And so God tasks him with adding one thing. I want you to be courageous. I want you to be strong. I want you to look at all of this. See, the simple answer isn't just dependence anymore. That's a given. I want you to be dependent on me. I'm going to give you the land. But for you, Joshua, I need something else. I need you now to decide to act on that dependence by using courage and strength. Character that you choose. 
And because he's choosing that character, he'll be able to move forward. Now, why does God ask him for that? Why does, why does Joshua need courage and strength? I hate to be the bearer of disturbing news, but here's the truth. The unknown is not a safe place. The unknown is not a road that's smooth and easy. It is, a, it is a dangerous and risky place when you step into something that you don't know, can't understand, aren't sure of. And God understood that Joshua was about to do that. And so he said, listen, when you step into this place, you're going to have to have strength and courage. And you know what? Very quick in the story, we're going to find that there is a twist and turn that Joshua had nothing to do with he sends out his army to the second city that they're going to try to capture. 36 of his men are killed in a short period of time. And you find him pleading out to God, what am I doing? What is wrong? Why did you bring me here? Why? I'm not sure if I can do this. He's forgotten already that he needs to have courage because he didn't do this. There was another guy who had disobeyed God and God was going to deal with that with a whole nation of Israel. And so he had to deal with with a bumpy road, with a twist, and with a turn in the road. And because of that, he required Joshua to just have courage. I just need you to have strength. Because this is not going to be an easy path. And the question is, well, okay, if I understand then that it's not going to be an easy path, then why would I go there? Well, the reason that you would choose to go there has to be really clear. And it's not because you can see clearly. There has to be another motivation that's going to drive you. And as I was thinking about how to help you understand what that is, I decided um, that maybe the best way to do that would be an experiment that I came up with that we're going to run on the staff. Okay? We're going to run this experiment on our Tuesday staff meeting. This is normally when we get together. I went out to Forks. And I bought a bunch of canned food, and I took the labels off, and I set them on the table, and then I gave them these instructions. All right, we're going to do a little experiment here, and I'm going to give you guys the rules, and then uh, you can proceed, and we'll see how this goes. Uh, there is a pile of things on the table right in front of Mitchell that says, do not touch, please. Can you remove that piece of paper? All right, um, here are the rules. Uh, you may not touch those cans, so don't shake them, don't do anything like that. Um, but you are gonna be asked to pick a can and then to eat whatever's inside. Surprisingly, Luis is ready to jump in and just grab something. That's not what I was hoping for. I was hoping there would be a little bit more time for them to wrestle with what if, so I said this. Do I have to do it? Why would you not want to do it? I mean, would I would I go to Forks and buy anything that would be unpleasant to eat? Yes, expired food. Horseradish, bro. Horseradish. Oh. Notice how they're straining to get as much information as they can. There's not much there to be had, but they're up over the table. They're looking. They're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Okay, okay. So if that helps, if that helps, nothing was expired. <laughs> what, are you trying, what are you trying to do? April 11th, 2019. Claire. That's not that far away. <laughs> That's a whole year. <laughs> the New York Times says ex expiration on canned goods doesn't matter. 
Trust me. Do I have to do it? Do I have to do it? If you don't want to eat that one, you don't have to eat that. But you're trying to study these cans. What are you doing? Okay, so we just grab it and eat it. Don't, no questions asked? Yeah, that's the, that's the goal. Um, All right, let's do it. Okay, there's one. Okay, hold on, hold on. Don't do that. Don't do that, Luis. Second. It's August. Okay. Um, you can flip it upside down. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Why do you have mine. this year then? Because mine doesn't have that. Oh my gosh, it was two for a dollar. I'm not eating. Oh, mine was 89 <laughs> <laughs> Heather gathers even more information as she flips open the can and realizes it costs 50 cents. Do you hear her talking about that? But let me show you what I purchased in the first place. It was nothing bad. These are... Um, things where I was trying to let what if play a role. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're going to let this play out. But as soon as Luis grabs a can, I want you to see how quickly everybody else grabs a can. And it raises the question, I wonder if courage is contagious too. Hey, do we open it? Okay, go ahead and open it. Thank Kim, Melissa, Mike, and I are happy that we're uh, Oh, hold on. Okay, stop. Stop for a second. Before you open it, you guys t determine which one of those Nick and Mike have to eat. Uh, Nick? Oh, no. Mike. Nick. Grab your own spoons. All right, choose y'all. Do we eat it? Yeah, go ahead. I will have you know that when they finally open the cans, they ate everything. I, the guys did. I don't know about the girls. But they ate everything that was in the can. But this raises the question, why were they even willing to participate in the first place? And you heard some of the doubts. And you heard some of the, like, oh, do we have to do this? And yet they still did it. Why? Why did they do it? Well, there's a couple things I want to point out. One, they knew that we were using this as an illustration for this morning. And two, this is who they are. This is a group of people who on a very consistent basis sacrifice for the sake of other people. And they knew that if they did this, there was a purpose behind it that was going to be helpful. They didn't know that for sure why or how, but they were still willing to make that sacrifice to eat whatever was in that can. Now, I'm not even sure if they would have popped open that can and found beets, if they would have eaten it, if they would have said, no, I'm not doing this. But I think they had a willing spirit and were willing to consider doing that because of who they were, but which is why the fear of the unknown can be so damaging it's not just that it prevents you from moving what often it does is it prevents you from being who you were made to be it, it pushes you past this person that you were supposed to act on in the world and you do nothing instead a few months ago i was talking with a friend who had a big opportunity and they were considering whether they were going to take it or not and I, I recognized the fear of the unknown coming out because they, they just weren't sure that they could be successful. And everything that we were talking about was all the what ifs of what could go wrong and how this could be bad. And I finally just asked the question, I said, do you think God made you to do this sort of thing? And their response was, oh yeah, this was, this is um, absolutely designed for me. And at some point in my life, I'm going to do this. I just don't know if it should be right now. And I just asked the question after they said that. If, this, if that answer is the case, then why should fear determine whether you do this or not? Because that's what fear does. 
It generates the what ifs in us, and then we don't act on who we are. Joshua has been developed to be a leader. And God knows that when I come to you and I ask you to lead, if you allow what ifs and fear to undermine you, you'll actually back away from who you were meant to be. But because you're willing to act, if you're willing to act, you could drag everybody else with you. I want to show you what happens because he talks verses 1 through 9 about encouraging him to do this task, this huge task that nobody else had been able to do up to this point. And look at Joshua's reaction. In verse 10, he calls his officers in and he tells them to go through the camp and say this in verse 11. Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross into the Jordan. I love it. I love one of the things I noticed about this is he did not give his people a whole bunch of time to what if either. If they would have gone, well, what if he would have said, you realize you have three days to pack. You better get moving. We're leaving in three days. And they would have been scrambling, getting everything ready to go. There's no what ifs going on. It's action time. But he also reminds them of this because this is not all that the officers said. They said this in the second part of the verse. And take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Joshua is reminding them that their dependence is on God, and he's reminding them that they're about to become who they were always meant to be. Forty years ago, they got to the edge of this land, and they backed away out of fear, and they, they went away from who God had called them to be as a nation, and they had recaptured that moment where they could finally cross over and be who God had always called them to be. And Joshua had found the courage to call everybody to act. And now everybody was ready to go. Now I've been kind of hinting at these all along, but I want to quickly point out, just real quick in bullet point um, fashion, four things that I think Joshua did right when he faced the fear of the unknown. Number one, he dumped the drama. You cannot find what ifs. He didn't leave space for what ifs. He wasn't coming up with all the possibilities and the theories. What he decided to do was focus on what his leader had given him. God said, I want you to go and be who you are. I want you to lead and do this. And he did. So too, he dumped and then he made a decision. He made a decision and moved. The last time they're here, they just say, they just stayed. Stay, we're going to stay on this side of the Jordan. We're going to be okay. You weren't going to be okay. It cost you who you were. And they, a lot of people passed away because of this. But Joshua is called for movement. For you, it might mean that you have to set a deadline. Because when you hesitate, when you get caught in hesitation, fear loves that and will pile on the possibilities, will cause you to think about all these theories and maybe just set a deadline for your choice. I'm going to make a decision by here because I need to keep moving. I need to keep doing something. Three, he made the decision that he would... Um, show his dependence upon God through strength and courage. That he would make a choice of character within himself to say, although I'm scared right now, I have no idea what's on the other side. I don't know if I can be successful. God has had to come to me and tell me to be strong and courageous. That's how bad I feel about this. But I am going to choose that character. And in so choosing that character, he was able to act. And, and the fourth thing, he remembered his dependence. 
He remembered who he was dependent on, why he was dependent. He answered the primary question, who and what am I dependent on? But he also called everybody to remember who they were meant to be. This is who we are. Let's go be this. Here's, here's the thing, my friends. We have front row seats to an unknown world right now. And none of us have seen what we're seeing right now. None of us have seen that many businesses close this quickly, the unemployment rate go up so fast. We've not seen these kind of things before. And when you look ahead, it's not clear. What's going to happen? How's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Nobody knows. Nobody has answers for questions about health. Nobody has answers for questions about finances. Nobody has questions for answers about the economy. There's all kinds of unknown. And if we're not careful we will get pulled into a vortex of what if and we'll consider all these possibilities that prevent us from being who we were meant to be in the world. See, God created you a certain way and He gave those gifts to you, He gave that personality, He gave that, that ability to serve to you for times like this where you would act on the nature of who you are out of obedience to, to God because He made you this way. And in so doing, you would bring courage to the people around you. But if you're full of fear, if you're full of the what-ifs, of the possibilities, of the theories, you may be frozen. You may lose your opportunity to move forward. In middle of March, uh, when, when they stopped letting us meet at Waypoint, uh, we were thrust into the middle of the unknown along with the rest of you. Uh, we saw our daycare go from over 90 kids down to 14. I think we're back up to 20 right now. We saw our giving get cut in half, and uh, there was a lot of what-ifs. And as we looked forward, we couldn't, we couldn't see. We couldn't tell what was there. And so we're trying to make wise decisions. We're trying to make plans. But how do you make plans when you're moving into the unknown? And, and there's just not enough data for us to know what was happening. And so there were moments where I could feel like an overwhelming sense of fear that, man, this is the unknown, and I don't, I don't know. I feel responsible for all these staff. I feel responsible for the daycare workers. I feel responsible for all of this, and I can't come up with a plan. See, it was around the 1st of April that I got a call, though, and I realized that there were a couple organizations in our community that were trying to respond by giving people food. And they needed resources. Now in the past, this is something that Waypoint has always done. This is part of our DNA. We've been involved with our community in significant ways, uh, meeting a lot of different needs. And in normal circumstances, normal times, that would have been a no-brainer. We would have acted on that. But we were facing the unknown. And what do you do in the unknown when people are asking for resources when you're not sure where you should be at or where you're going to be at. And so we sat around and we talked about this. Waypoint's gifted with a lot of incredible lay leaders at Waypoint who are responsible for these kind of bigger financial decisions. And as we had great discussions about this, it was unanimous. We determined that as a, as a group, we could not let fear push us away from being who we are. We're, we're a people who finds ways to meet the needs of our community when the time comes. And so last week, uh, Waypoint cut two checks totaling $10,000 to go to food in our community. Why would we do something like that in the face of our own uncertainty? Because it's who we are. 
and we're following our leader, Jesus. And when you step into the unknown and you're dependent on him, you might not know the full outcome, but you do it as an act of courage and strength because your dependency gets shown that way. See, I think if we can do it, you can do it. And it's more than that. I think you need to do it because our world is in need of a contagion that would spread besides fear. And you have the chance to spread courage. I hope you'll consider the gifts, the opportunities that you have before you. And you'll choose courage and strength. God, in these desperate times that we find ourselves in, ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to show our dependence, to be who we are in the world, so that we can spread courage and hope. We ask for your guidance and strength to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, guys, thank you for joining us this morning. It's so good to know that we're on this journey together. Hey, like Blair was talking about, if you are interested in giving towards uh, the Middlebury Food Pantry or Lifeline, uh, we have a spot to do that on our app, on our giving app. So if you need help getting connected on that, we can help you. Uh, but wanted to make you aware of that, that opportunity that you have. Thanks for joining us, guys. Hopefully this message was a blessing to you. Uh, hopefully this sparked some conversations among your family and, the, and just other people that you're coming in contact with. But know that you're loved. We love you. God loves you. Have a great rest of your day.